Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Vienna started and lost World War I, and with it, her vast empire. Today, no longer ruling a superpower, Austria's capital seems most excited about enjoying a shorter work week, longer lifespan, and the best chocolate cake in Europe. Whether you're sipping coffee in a genteel cafe or enjoying some Strauss in the park, Vienna is all class. And all this gilded culture can be surprisingly affordable. Actually, I don't think it's that expensive. Yeah, so it, you can get, for example, standings for the opera, which is the price of a cinema ticket. Yeah. Coming up, my friend and fellow tour guide Ursula Klaus walks us through her city's cafe culture and takes your calls to help you appreciate the affordable allure of one of Europe's most graceful capitals. We'll start by opening the phones in a moment to see where you're planning to visit and to hear the latest tales from our community of backdoor travelers. It's all coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. When you think of elegant capitals, Vienna has to rate right up there at the top. Coming up on Travel with Rick Steves, we're delving into the historic, artistic, and edible highlights of Austria's capital. Let's start with your calls and hear your travel stories and ideas. 877-333-RICK. That's our number. Or email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Marion's on the line in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, Marion. Hi, Rick. I've just returned from Italy, and I have some questions about how are the hotel stars determined. In other words, I found some three-star hotels, uh, you know, very different in quality from other three-star hotels. And one four-star hotel, I think, was quite as nice as even a three-star hotel. So I was just wondering if they yeah. determine... You know, I wonder that also, because this is what I do for a living, is look at hotels, and any hotel will brag how many stars it has, and just like you, I look at this place and go, you say you got four stars, but it just seems like two plus, you know? What's Mm -hmm. going on? Um, In every country, they've got different regulations on how they can sort of standardize the quality levels of their hotels. And in Italy, it used to be, like in Spain, names. Uh, a pension was one level, a locanda, a hotel, mm-hmm. a residencia, and so on. And that would indicate to travelers, this place has a restaurant, this place is open 24 hours or whatever. Now they've pretty much discarded that, and they've gone to a star system. And there are certain technical checklists. I mean, do you have valet service? Do you have uh, showers in every room? What's the thread count on your sheets? Do you have a restaurant? Do you have room service? You know, all this. And I wouldn't rely on it too much because, as you said, you you can find a three-star hotel that is better than a four-star hotel and would cost, obviously, less money. So I wouldn't get too hung up on that. I I would say you get a general ballpark. To me, three- and four-star hotels are business-class hotels. One- and two-star hotels are traveler-class hotels. Mm -hmm. I like one- and two-star hotels from a value point of view if they are well-located and in a quiet and safe neighborhood. In the old days, everybody was worried about, do they have private showers and toilets? Nowadays, it's hard to find a room in Europe without a private toilet and a shower. Uh, They've all Mm -hmm. gutted their rooms and retrofitted them with this plumbing. There are a few hotels that, for structural reasons, cannot put an elevator in. And that puts a false ceiling on how many stars they can have. Consequently, they can't charge what they might otherwise be able to get. That's, to me, a very good value. Some of my favorite hotels are charming, family-run, small hotels. I like family-run because you know the people who are running the place or the people who own the place. They're not absentee owners that hire the cheapest labor they can, expecting them to come and go and not care about their work. This is a hard-working mom-and-pop team. Grandma's downstairs ironing the sheets, and it's just sort of like a family running it, and it feels much more intimate, and you feel good about the value they're offering you. And it might be a little rough-edged, and it might have stairways instead of elevators, but I think it's going to be a better value. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, to answer your question, difference between three and four stars, uh, to me... For somebody of, with my material needs, I, I can't imagine anybody needing more than three stars, frankly. If you get into four stars, you're paying extra money for lavish, grand, more than business class kind of stuff. To me, executive class uh, uh, niceties. The way the dollar is right now and the way costs are in Europe, personally, I, I just can't recommend many four-star hotels. Marion in Little Rock, thanks for your call. Thanks so much. Sure. 
Alisa in San Francisco. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you. I was calling about a little faux pas. A little faux pas. Great. A little faux pas that uh, a person should be prepared when they travel so we don't have any embarrassing moments with the natives. And it happened when my husband and I uh, and my mom decided to go to Europe and go to Germany, and we decided to rent a car. So we rented a car from our local Volkswagen dealer, and they had the car waiting for us when we arrived in Frankfurt. And we took off, and we didn't quite understand the, uh, the language on the maps too well and what the symbols mean. But we noticed, gee, we have a lot of these road symbols, these road signs. They're the same as they are back home. Right. You know, like the ones like pedestrian crossings. Sure. Things like that. For instance, it's sort of in the beginning of the trip, we would go and uh, we'd be driving around, and we'd see a, a sign up there, and it'd say, I'm Einbahnstrasse. You know, and we go, wow, that's First Street. And then every once in a while, a fellow would go be going the other direction, and he'd be honking his horn and waving his hands. And we're going, hey, and we wave back and smile as we proceeded <laughs> down Einbahnstrasse. Well, it, it took us a couple of towns to figure out that Einbahnstrasse was actually one way, and we were going the wrong way on the wow. one-way street. <laughs> Magoo, you've done it again. Yes, that's a very good tip, Alisa. Let's make sure people understand. Einbahnstrasse means one-way street, and you'll find that all over the German-speaking world and the equivalent in other languages as well. Well, the thing is it had an arrow there, but it wasn't exactly like back home. We thought it was pointing to where Einbahn, the first street was, not the direction we're supposed to be traveling. And that's why we'd have all the cars going the other way, waving at us and honking their horn. It's funny. People do wave at you, and you kind of wave back, and then you realize, oh, they're trying to tell me something. (laughs) (laughs) And like the other one, like pedestrian crossing, we thought, oh, this is really great. We'd be caught in all this traffic, and then we'd see, oh, look, watch out for pedestrians, just a pedestrian crossing sign. And what we didn't know is what that was, was it's a pedestrian-only mall. Wow. And we'd be driving around in there thinking, wow, there isn't any traffic here, and there's plenty of parking. You guys are the queens and kings of faux pas when it comes to driving <laughs> with those signs. Well, you, you, you learned, and you didn't kill anybody. And we found out what the exclamation point means, too. That's good. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye now. That's so funny with people uh, waving at you as you go somewhere. I remember one day I was hitchhiking across the island of Shikoku in the winter in Japan, and I was determined to get over this mountain to the other side of the island, and I was hitchhiking, and, and everybody was waving at me and waving at me. They're so friendly here, and I realized later they were trying to tell me the road is closed, and I finally got to the end of the road, and I realized, oh, that's what they were. So if a lot of people are waving at you, you they might be saying more than, hello, have a good day. And we've got Nagaraj on the phone uh, from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Hello? Hi. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Good. Did I get your name right, Nagaraj? Nagaraj is right. Uh, I would like to commend you, Rick, for the wonderful things you've done, your travel books and your travel videos and a lot of stuff. Uh, We do watch it, and we are planning a trip to Europe soon. And we're planning to go from Edinburgh to London to France, which is Paris mainly, and then to Jungfrau Jock in Switzerland, and then to Rome. So now tell me about your interest in Switzerland. Why are you interested in Switzerland? In Switzerland, what I did was I read about a lot of stuff in Berner Oberland, yeah. uh, the mountains, the beautiful snow-covered peaks, and the nice railways that they have, the cogwheels oh. and the cable cars, the rotating yeah. ones that go up to the top of Mount Titlis. Yeah. Well, the, the, those Swiss, you know, a hundred years ago, they saw these mountains and, and they didn't think, just let's climb it. They thought, let's drill a train to get all the way up there so people in their nice clothes can get up to the top of the mountains. And I can imagine people doing that today with fancy uh, engineering and helicopters and so on. But this was a hundred years ago. They put the trains through the mountains and brought them right to the summits of these towering alpine peaks. And you mentioned the Jungfrau yoke. Uh, remember, in, in German, you would make a Y sound for the J, so instead of J, Jungfrau. Jungfrau mm-hmm. Yoke. It is just enthralling. To, it's to be up there at 12,600 feet, I believe, and you're looking down at the glaciers, and, and Mount Blanc is just right next to the highest point in all of Europe. That's right, and which is why we wanted to go. And we could not find a single book or resource up on the web, having looked up almost everything from the jungfrauwjok.ch website to everything else. And even in your book, uh, what we came across was a suggestion, was just to try and get most of those train timings and rates converted as much as possible to a U.S. currency or some common denomination 
whereby people could easily understand which train to take and when yeah. to go if they had to see all these places together. Because after a lot of effort, I did manage to figure out how to cover both these places in two days. Oh, yeah. Well, it's expensive to get to the top of the mountains. And remember, they often have a discounted fare early in the morning. So you can save quite a bit of money doing that. And the trains will routinely go on the half hour or at least every hour. And you've got three very interesting places to go, Mount Titlis, Mount Pilatus, and the Jungfrau Jok. Uh, Nagaraj, I've got to ask from your accent and your name, are you from India? That's right, I'm from India. And are, are you interested in the Bollywood sort of phenomenon of so many Indian movies being produced in the Jungfrau area? Uh, I don't know about that, but I do watch some of them. I'm not an avid movie fan, but uh, my kids do enjoy the Bollywood movies, and I, uh, most of the Indian actors and actresses are famous around the Swiss area. You know, this is a very interesting phenomenon for a lot of Western travelers. They go to Switzerland, and they see all of these people from India. What's going on? They've all got these images from their great movies in their minds. I know that when I went to India, I loved to go to the Hindi movies, and they would always have these romantic scenes up in Kashmir in the mountains. And now because of Kashmir's political problems, you can't film a movie up there safely. Consequently, all of these heartthrobs and movie stars and popular uh, characters from Hindi culture are filming movies in Switzerland, and they've got to have lots of uh, Indian restaurants and uh, plenty of groups from India and so on, and it's all related to this Bollywood uh, passion for having romantic scenes high up in the mountains, isn't it? Yes, that's true. And incidentally, I found an Indian vegetarian restaurant right in uh, just near the Interlaken West Station. Oh, yeah. You will find more Indian restaurants in Switzerland for some reason than anywhere in Europe, I think it's fair to say, because uh, it is such a popular destination from India. So enjoy your trip. Sure, Rick. And one suggestion I had, because you have done so much, I would like to give you a tip. Right on the west coast of Glasgow, there is a beautiful island called Isle of Butte. Uh-huh. which is exactly similar to Mackinac, where they do not allow any kind of vehicular traffic. But since I have lived around there, just like to tell you that that is one of the places you might want to try out on your next travels to see the beautiful place, Isle of Butte. Now, this is in Scotland, did you say? This is in Scotland, uh, west of Glasgow. West of Glasgow, and how do you And spell? you have to take a boat ride only. It's I see. the only way you can get there. And uh, there are regular boat rides. And it's a very nice place. You can go around the island, and it has been, I think, washed a couple of times into the sea, and this is the third time it's still staying up. And it's no cars on the island? and it's um... No cars, and I think there are only a couple of things, uh, vehicles. Oh, one is a fire truck, right. and one is a regular supply ah. kind of vehicle and stuff like that. That's the island of Butte, B-U-T-E? That's right. You know, that's a funny thing you mentioned that, because so many of my very favorite places it just occurs to me, are places that do not allow cars. In Europe, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of cars. And if you can find fiat-free Italy, for instance, you're getting a, a slice of Italy that I can really vote for. Nagaraj, thanks for your tip. Thank you very much, Rick. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks very much. Next stop, Vienna. Tour guide Ursula Klaus joins us to tell us about her celebrated city on the Danube. 877-333-RICK. That's our number. That's 877-333-7425. And email us at radio at ricksteves.com. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're traveling right now to Vienna, and I have with me a licensed tour guide and art historian from Vienna, Ursula Klaus, who has traveled all the way to our studios here in Seattle to share with us about her great city. Ursula, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It was very nice to come here over. It's great to have you. I'm excited about learning about Vienna. To me, Vienna is sort of the eastern Paris of Europe. It's sort of the cultural capital of central Mm -hmm. Europe. It's something I could agree, yeah. It's a melting pot. It was the capital of the Austrian-Hungarian monarchy, so you have... You see influences from Italy, Czech Republic, Hungary, the Alpine region, of course, yeah, German history as well. And a lot of American travelers, they don't appreciate that in the 19th century, the Habsburg Empire really was a dominant empire. Yeah, and much bigger than today's Austria, of course. Yes, it and, was a, and then some people would say uh, Vienna, well, the Habsburgs were on the wrong side of World War One. Yeah, they, they started it, They actually. started it up. <laughs> So it was their fault, yeah. Yeah, so the Austrians started World War I. It's a fascinating story how that all happened, but basically after four or five years, the Habsburgs were gone. In fact, the Romanovs were gone, and that was the end of a lot of the old regime Mm -hmm. families. And what had been a dominant power was now a landlocked little country, Austria, instead Mm -hmm. of the grand Austro-Hungarian Empire, Mm -hmm. with a navy of maybe two boats on the Danube River. Yeah, and the things what the Austrian army still runs, two boats on the Danube. So that's your navy? (laughs) That's our navy, yeah. But Vienna has this grandeur, and you feel like this is a great cultural capital. Yeah, it's it's also when, if you just take the figures, yeah, that Austria now has something like 8 million inhabitants, and... Yeah, a force lives in Vienna or at least in the surroundings. A and quarter. Work, uh, yeah, a quarter. Sorry, of all yeah, the Austrians live in Vienna. Yeah, so it's, it's in, almost two million inhabitants. So it's really big in comparison to the other cities. Oh, yeah, so it's the dominant city. And when I go to Vienna, I feel like it's almost a beautiful thing that they had their glory days, their powerful days mm-hmm. in the past, and now they're no longer a superpower and they're more comfortable just enjoying life. That's right. And tell me if I'm just romantic about this, but it seems to me that Austrians, and especially in Vienna, you have the shortest work week, the longest lifespan, the Mm -hmm. best chocolate, the best coffee. You can take a Sunday afternoon stroll any day of the week. There's this gemütlichkeit, this this joy of living. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, it's Vienna is first of all it's um, a walking city, uh, so you just slander around the old town or through the old palace area. It's Everything is open. You can walk through and just find yourself a seat in a, in a nice open garden of a coffee house. Yeah. I think um, Vienna has more green per square kilometer. It's very green. Yeah. The weather normally is very nice. Yeah. So it's in summer, not too hot. In winter, it so could be cold. Let's think uh, about this a little bit because right now the United States is the world's only superpower. Yeah. What's it like to have been a superpower? And now you can, is it, is it different? You know, it's so easy without this big responsibility. Yeah? So it's an easy life. Yeah? So it's, and I don't think that anyone in Austria really misses... The um, yeah the territories or the Habsburgs as rulers yeah so probably there is something like a monarchistic party with 0.01 percent yeah because when <laughs> but, you go to the crypt the Kaiser's yeah. crypt there's the uh, this under the some church at the uh, palace Capuchin crypt there's yeah. all of Capuchin the vaults. all of the very formal and ornate crypts and tombs of the emperors, yeah. the Habsburgs, yeah. and some of them still have flowers on them. Yeah, but they're mainly from, from tourists. So you see, for example, Italian colors on the bouquets or Hungarians at the burial side of Empress Elizabeth C.C. Yeah, so she yeah. was the big Hungarian. Former uh, parts of the Habsburg Empire. Yeah. Coming yeah. back and remember. Coming back and remember. Um, and one thing you have not to f- you you have always to keep in mind that at least since uh, 2004, most of the former parts of the monarchy are now member of the European Union. Yeah, like Czech Republic, Slovakia, um, Hungary, Slovenia. So finally, after this 60, 70 years of of separation of yeah, from Vienna, really facing the Iron Curtain. Yeah? yeah, it's now again this Danube area. Yeah, this natural, cultural 
together. It's a neighborhood. Yeah. So that's now, interesting. So um, what was the Habsburg Empire was divided because of history, communism, yeah, basically, yeah. and then with the World EU, War One, World War One, World War One, different okay, borders. Yeah. So and then the, the the communist, of course. Yeah. And then now with the growth of the European Union, all of these former. Um, lesser parts of the Habsburg yeah. Empire yeah. are back in the club as equal members yes. with, with Austria. Yes, they are. Is yeah. there a sense that the family is together again? Sometimes, and but it's it's also like you, you see when you walk around Prague, you see Viennese banks and, and Viennese yeah. labels and the same. It's an exchange. Yeah? So it would, it's something like what was natural 100 years ago, mm-hmm. there was every hour a train between Vienna and Prague, steam train, and it took you four and a half hours. And finally, again, we brought up a schedule, which is four hours. 100 <laughs> a years train, later. 100 years later, again, yeah, because in the 60s, it was like, okay, 10 hours with five hours on the border, yeah. because you're really, yeah, you were traveling to the communism, yeah, so they checked everything. Yeah. So it's something like, okay, we have it again. Chrysler, yeah. as a historian, I love this concept of Habsburg glory. And I think of Prague and Budapest and Vienna as three great Habsburg cities. Yeah. And we tried to make a tour called Habsburg Capitals, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. It doesn't quite resonate with American travelers. Yeah, yeah. But I think over time, we'll find that the connections between these uh, great cities yeah. will be better, and more people will lace Vienna, Prague, and Budapest yeah. together as one sightseeing sort of target. There are a lot of um, individual travelers, so people coming to Vienna with your uh, Eastern Europe guidebook. Yeah. Austria has this unique term, Gemütlichkeit. Yeah. What is, say it first of all, because I'm sure I'm... Gemütlichkeit. <laughs> Gemütlichkeit. What does that mean? Um, easygoing, relaxing, um, not being stressed in a coffee, um, take your time. Not being enjoy. stressed in a, in a cafe. In a cafe, out. yeah, exactly. Because you have a great cafe culture in yes, Vienna. Yes, yes. Is it easy for a tourist to connect with that? I think so, yeah. What are some yeah. tips? Where would you go for a um, cafe experience in Vienna? I would say my place to to explore Vienna's coffees or the, the, the, the place to start is St. Michael's Square. It's just behind the Hofburg. Right. It's the only roundabout in Vienna, downtown, so you can not miss it. Yeah. Right. And there you have really, in, it's not really in a, um, around, it's around the corner. You have the Daimel, you have the Café Central, you have the Greensteindl. Hmm. So these uh, are the venerable old cafes. Yes. And yes. you go there and you have the newspapers out and you have the formal waiters. Yeah. yeah. First of all, it's it might be a little bit appearing formal, yeah, because sometimes because I they're find those really waiters not beautiful. Very, not very polite. No, they waiters. are not. <laughs> grumpy old men. <laughs> that, I just wanted to hear you say that because I thought I'm just a stupid tourist and I think they're grumpy old men. Yeah. But even you, yeah, a sophisticated no, being, yes, yes, they are. That's yeah. part of the scene. So you accept first, that, huh? First thing is that you enter coffee house and it's a little bit. It has a charm of a past. You see the. Chandel- the crystal chandeliers. So going back to the, the 19th times, century. Yeah, you have these a little bit used red velvet seats. Yeah. yeah. So it's sometimes a little bit dusty, M- shabby. A little musty, a little musty. Musty, yeah. Smoky, yeah, because yeah. In, in Europe still people smoking in Even public places. Even now people are they're still smoking in the yes, cafes. So yes. if you're sensitive to that, you have a problem there. Um, in the bigger ones, you have non-smoking yeah. areas. But yeah, when I go to my cafe up. in my town, they go, hi, Rick, you want yeah. your grande 2% uh, extra hot? They know me. They know all this. This is there. this is certainly something if you're with niece, yeah. Um, they don't say hi, yeah. It's something like a silent understatement, yeah. Okay, you so. just enter, you find yourself a seat. Um, if you're... Um, we call it Stammgast, so somebody who ah, came every regular guest. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have your seat without mm-hmm. any order. You have your melange. You have your piece of pastry to bring you the daily paper. So they you know choose. you li- how you they like your coffee. They know you exactly. So you yeah. sit down immediately. Or, bring, what's a melange? Yeah. What is melange? Melange is maybe the standard or the the coffee I also recommend to Americans. Is that to, what we would call a latte? Um, it's a little bit stronger than a latte. Tell yeah. me in a brief, in a thumbnail, the um, different coffees you could have in a cafe. Yeah, there. so uh, we have really a menu. So yeah. every coffee house has, every cafe is really proud of their menu. So it, uh, you have, first of all, you have the small and the big, black or brown. Yeah, so that's the... Small, big, black, brown. Yeah. Okay. So it's Brown meaning with some cream. With, with milk, yeah. Yep. And these are rather strong. Yeah? It's more like the Italian espresso style. And the melange is the size of the coffee 
in the in the bigger of a smaller cup in a bigger cup. So you have more water. It's a little bit lighter. It's more the American taste. Okay, Americano. Yeah. Also more. Uh, and on top with uh, whipped milk cream. So I it's see. not whipped cream. It's not that heavy. That would be then, for example, Einspänner. Huh. So you um, should, as a tourist, you should know the vocabulary to you fit should, in. You it's should. It's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and guidebooks will explain yeah. that. And the regular, the stum, what do you call the stum? Stumgast. Stumgast, the regular yeah. guest. Yeah. The waiters would even know his favorite pastry, and every of day course. he would have his yeah. Wiener. What don't they call in Even in, in Scandinavia, they call their pastries... Uh, Wieners, yeah. Wienas. Yeah, Wienas. Wienerbro, they call um, it. Wienerbro in Denmark. Yeah, yeah. So that's and my Vienna pastry. What is a Vienna pastry? What's the classic Vienna pastry? Just one thing, in Belgium, the coffee houses or the pastries are called Vienna Soris. Huh. Yeah, so it's also there the Vienna uh, word in it. Um, for the pastries, normally you find, you're not waiting to be seated. Yeah, You mm -hmm. find yourself your seat. Probably it takes some while until a waiter shows up because it's something like you enter their living room. Yeah? Right, right. So you're welcome, but okay, don't be angry if they keep you waiting for 10 minutes or something before they come up. Then you order the coffee, this will be served, and it's absolutely normal that you get up and have a look to the vitrine where the pastries are, because in the menu, you just find the standards. So every okay. coffee house has every day a fresh Sachertorte, that's the famous chocolate cake. Yeah. You will find um, apple strudel, you will find a sweet cream strudel called Topfenstrudel. This might be every day, but then they have this wonderful... Chocolate, hazelnut, cherry, cream cake, yeah, just today. Just yeah. today, a special. And yeah. if you didn't get and up and walk there are over. something like 10 specials, yeah, so oh, okay. 10 things which are just available, also seasonal, yeah, cherry strudel or yeah. um, apricot yeah. uh, pastry, so what the season offers. And this, you either, you just point, point out, yeah, yeah, or maybe in a bigger one, they give you a little voucher and it will be served to your table. So Sachertort. They all Sacher. have, I, I thought Sachertort was only from the Café Sacher yeah. by the Opera House. Yeah, it's behind the Opera House. It's a very big... Is that the best Sachertort? Um, it's the first. Honestly saying, honestly saying no. I found, I found <laughs> yeah. it dry. I it's, went. it's not that good. It's something like when your travelers ask me so about a really traditional, shall we go to the Sacha? I said, okay, if you really want to have the original, original Sacha torte, of course you have to go to the Sacha, yeah, which is yeah. again around the corner of St. Michael's Square. It has the long connection with the opera house. It's the long connection, but mainly you see there are Tourist. Japanese tourists <laughs> taking pictures of each other. Yeah? So if you want to see this, yeah, it could be nice people watching. Or Australians with funny hats yeah. uh, there. But you can get a soccer tort any, at any cafe almost. At any cafe, yeah. That's and there thing. is a big rivality between the Demel and the Sacher. It ah. was even in front of the trial. Yeah, a that big rivalry. The, yeah, the oh, big wow. thing. So who has the original recipe? Well, where do you say the best soccer tort is? I the, think the Demel is better. D-E-M-E-L. Yeah, That's a Demel. venerable old yeah. uh, elegant uh, Yeah, uh, very nice. Kind of now, Starbucks, of all things, is in Vienna now. And it's I, I in Vienna. They it's made a point right on the other side of the Sacha. Yeah, so it's in also behind the, the opera. <laughs> what do the local people think about the uh, American coffee shop intruding? Uh, well, we had already some American chains, yeah, like McDonald's or you can get Burger King. Also, in, it's available. So if you're... As American traveler, you're yeah. homesick and you want your hickory style something. But you're, yeah. not, you're going you can, to. You're not going to no, Starbucks. No, I don't. Yeah, so what you see in in in downtown, you mainly see tourists there actually. That's true. And uh, probably teenagers, yeah, because for them it's like these fancy flavored. It's it's nice yeah, to have this, but I actually do not know any Viennese going there. Uh, you wrinkled your nose sort of disdainfully when you said fancy flavors. When you go to a coffee shop, you don't want coffee with... Uh, raspberries or something, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very strange for, very, for me. Yeah, yes, so, well, good. It's also this, this creamy or... If a Vienna iced coffee, for example, which is delicious in summer, yeah, so it's vanilla ice cream with a very strong espresso and whipped cream and not this shaken thing with right. um, ice cubes in it. So you know, a watered coffee. Mm. I think uh, I learn a lot from people in Austria because they know how to live well. And they'll mm. pay a little extra to live well, but they want the quality, I think. Yeah. We have some people calling us. We have Kel on the line in, in uh, Kentucky. Thank you for your call. 
Well, thank you. I, this is a very enjoyable show. I'm uh, reinforced of my good decision to go to Vienna. Coffee, oh. culture, and cakes sounds like a great place to go. I know. It makes me want to go. We have Ursula Klaus visiting us from Austria today. She's here to share her expertise. What Do you have a question for Ursula? Well, I do have. And unfortunately, uh, all trips have to come to an end. And, and after three days in Vienna, we plan to head to Interlaken. And I was curious uh, from someone that really knows the terrain, should I make that trip at night, or is there enough scenery to see to make that uh, nine or ten hour trip in the daylight? So, for people who don't know the map as well as you, you're you're considering the overnight train from Vienna all the way to the middle of Switzerland, yes. and you're wondering, uh, from Ursula's point of view, would that be a, a tragedy because you'd be missing some great things in route? We have exactly. to remember you're saving enough time to have an extra day in Vienna or an extra day in Switzerland. So it's a matter of priorities. Of course, there's things in the in the middle. Ursula, what do you think if somebody has this? Uh, mm. I, I think Kel has a like a two-week trip. He's got three days for Vienna. Uh, what's good outside of Vienna between there and Switzerland? Actually, you do not see. There's a lot to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's the the Danube Valley. It's you you pass Salzburg, the Lake District. Yeah, then of course the Tyrolean Mountains. But sometimes you. You do not go, it's not the scenic drive along the Danube Valley because then you would have to take the local train, which would take you two weeks to go from Vienna to Interlaken when you just yeah. have the scenic scene. But that valley, the scenic, yeah. the Wachau Valley. Uh, it's really beautiful, but you pass it on a high-speed track, uh, something like two miles away from the Danube yeah, because they, of course, take the direct way. Mm-hmm. And Certainly, it's you see a little bit of Austria, but I would prefer the the overnight train uh, and to have an extra day and probably to do uh, a half day or day excursion to the Danube Valley, go back to Vienna, and then take the um, the overnight trains or even to have more time in in in Switzerland. And normally, the trains arrive at ten o'clock, so at least you see the beautiful Swiss landscape from. Eight o'clock onwards, yeah. Whenever mm. you get up and and you get your breakfast, I think that's very very um, efficient. What Ursula is talking about, you would give yourself Kel an extra day in Vienna and spend most of that side tripping out to get a flavor of the countryside. In other words, you can get a real good dose of, of Austrian countryside on the Danube River Valley, Melk, Krems. You can bike along the river. There's beautiful mm-hmm. bike paths along the river, very popular we'll take with a locals. Ship cruise. You can take yeah. a boat ride between two towns and then bicycle back. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Good well, luck. You certainly on answered you. my question. Thanks for listening and happy travels, Kel. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye now. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then, if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so afraid? Mm-hmm. Where's the fire? What's the hurry about? You better. Cool it off before you burn it out You got so much to do And only so many hours in a day But you know that when the truth is told That you can get what you want Or you can just get old You're gonna kick off Before you even get halfway through Ooh, when will you realize Vienna waits for you Billy Joel knows it. Vienna is one of the world's most beloved cities. More tips on enjoying Vienna, whatever the season, coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK or email us at radio at ricksteves.com Merhaba, ben Lale Sürmen Aran. Istanbul, Türkiye'de yaşıyorum ve Rick Steves'le birlikte seyahat ediyorum. Now I'm going to give you the English translation of what I just said. I am Lale Sürmen Aran from Istanbul, Turkey and I travel with Rick Steves. Ben Lale Sürmen Aran, İstanbul, Türkiye'denim ve Rick Steves'le seyahat ediyorum. Ursula Klaus is teaching us about Vienna today on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK, that's our number. And we have we have Kathy on the line, and I believe Kathy is leaving tomorrow for Bad Hofgastein in Austria. Is that right, Kathy? That's correct. I am a volunteer for our local Wilmington Ski Club, and I'm taking 45 people over uh, to ski for a week there in uh, Bad Hofgastein. Hopefully I said that correctly. And then we're going to end up in Prague. But my question to Ursula is, 
Um, I took a group over a couple years ago, and we did end in Vienna, and we've uh, seen Salzburg, and I wanted to know if she had any suggestions for day trips um, from that area in Bad Hofgerstein uh, that the group could go see uh, by rail. By rail. Um, or if by bus. I, we just assumed we knew that it was a, um, a rail hub there. so we. There is it. definitely a rail. So in, in, in Europe you have, um, since yeah, the 1900, late 1900s, you have a quite good rail right. system. So normally it's uh, better to go by rail. And Bad Hofkastein definitely has a rail station. And you right. can go to, to Salzburg. You can probably make a day excursion to see the salt mines or yeah, um Halein is it? Halein, yeah, that's that's very nice to visit. Where is this Bad Hofgastein? It's um south of Bad Hofgastein. Is yeah, it in the, the Salzkammergut district? No, it's not uh, it's a little bit more western. It's really in Salzburg, yeah, okay. so in in in the mountains. So, so it's, a, it's near Salzburg. You could go into Salzburg and side trip from Salzburg. Yeah, Is that what yeah. you would do? It's south of Salzburg city in the mountains. Kathy, do you have a, a only by train? You're limited to public transportation? Yeah, or do you because um, with the group, we're just um, going by bus, and then once the bus drops us at our hotel, it's gone, so we'll be there for a week. So really, most of the people um, are adverse to renting a car, and I don't really know if there is that in, in the town. So we usually go by train, and we actually yeah. did um, a few years ago. We were in uh, Zellamsee and went to Sal- Salzburg then by train, and it was gorgeous. So yeah. it will be something like the same distance, Zellamsee, Bad Hofgastein to Salzburg. Probably you have to change the train, but if you have a bigger group, um, I'm not sure if I... What is it, 45 people? Yeah, yeah but they so won't all go at all. Some people, okay. the diehard skiers, will not give up a day of skiing. Okay, yeah. yeah. Because sometimes it's probably cheaper to get... Because the rail... The, the train prices are not that cheap anymore like they were probably before the euro or 10 years ago. So maybe it, it you can ask a local taxi um, company there and hire a minivan. Right. And if you share this uh, 10 people, that it's probably cheaper and you save time because Bad mm-hmm. Hofgastein, Salzburg, it's definitely, they have a lot of stops in between. It will take something like two, two and a half hours. Okay. And probably if you drive and the weather is fine and there's no uh, snow and ice on the street, right. um, you can do it in, in an hour or one and a half. You're in Salzburg or you make a nice stop at Hallein or um, uh, some castles on, on the way, yeah. I would consider even renting a big bus and hiring a local guide and putting together an excursion yeah. for the day because with the efficiency of a big bus and a local guide, you could have a brilliant day that I think yeah. would be more fun than yeah. another day skiing for most and people. I'm, right. I'm sure there's in, in winter, yeah, it's not the, the, the problem to, to get somebody and just uh, there is um, the local tourist board, it will certainly be very helpful and they have always uh, taxi companies there, which have not only little cabs, yeah, but they normally have vans for right, groups. Or, uh, Kathy, so. thank yes. you for your call and good luck. Thank you. you better oh, get I'll p- probably need it. Are you all packed up? Uh, I'm trying. I, I just actually was on your website and saw some of your packing tips and are going to try them tonight. All right. Let us so, know how your trip you goes. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Ursula. Welcome. This is Rick Steves, and uh, right now we're talking with Ursula Klaus, who's a licensed tour guide and an art historian from Vienna. Ursula, we were talking earlier that Vienna has more parks per kilometer than I think any other big city in Europe, and my image is great musicians, Beethoven, walking, pacing in the parks, putting together beautiful melodies (laughs) in his mind. Vienna, of course, is the capital of music in Europe. I think it's quite expensive to enjoy classical music, but you can get great classical concerts all year long in Vienna. Do you have any tips for enjoying classical music when you're coming to Vienna? Actually, I don't think it's that expensive. Yeah? So it, you can get, for example, standings in the opera for the opera, which is the price of a cinema ticket. That's yeah? true. They it's have a very five, nice uh, accommodation for uh, budget people yeah, and students yeah, and so on, like students. 500 tickets a day or something for yeah, standing room. Yeah, yeah. so it's a big, the opera, this, the, so the Vienna State Opera has uh, ground floor standings, which are now something like five, seven euros, uh, and the galleries are what you would call a family mm-hmm. circle. Right. 
is cheaper. Yeah, this is probably three euros, and so it's like five, there. like four dollars. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, even if you're not wanting to spend a whole evening at the opera for four bucks, you can get that and just stay for half. Of exactly, the performance. Yeah. and then you see it inside, and you see the wonderful staircases. And, and it's you, not that tough to find a place, believe it or not. Yeah. To go to the Vienna yeah. Opera for yeah. four dollars yeah. and just stay for half of the program. Yeah. That's, you see the why music, not? You hear the, yeah. it's, the, it's the Philharmonic, yeah. isn't it? It is. The, the Vienna Opera Orchestra is the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, so they play there, and you have really good conductors. Now, 2006 is the big Mozart anniversary year, isn't yeah. it? It's the 250th birthday of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Vienna and Salzburg, of course, are already quite crazy about this. But there's a big special exhibition in the Albertina in the wonderful museum behind the opera. You know, one great thing for casual music appreciation in Vienna for me in the summer is the Rathaus. The Rathaus, the open air festival. And yeah. they have this giant screen, yeah. great quality, yeah. and top end, generally classical, but sometimes yeah. jazz yeah. music. Yeah. And a big food circus scene. Mm-hmm. And it's. I understand it's a great place for young single people to go and meet exactly. each other. Exactly. <laughs> it's the meat market. <laughs> it's the meat market with <laughs> yeah. classical music no, on the, the, the In the meanwhile, it's really something like a landmark. The opera, the Vienna Philharmonics, the Vienna Bike Choir, they're all not here in July and August. Yeah? They yeah. play either on the Salzburg Festival, they are on Tunay, also the Lipizzaner Stallions. Yeah? So they are not here. They're on yeah. holidays so, in August. So the Vienna Boys Choir, the, the great Lipizzaner Stallions, and the opera are all on vacation. Yeah, the opera the and the, also the Philharmonics, the Symphonics. So the, the big houses are closed. Yeah. Which is that many tourists are going to Vienna for this reason. They yeah. go in the summer, they're disappointed. But there are alternatives that really make up for that. Talk more about the City Hall concert. Uh, yeah, the City Hall concert is a really huge screen and it's free. Yeah, you just go there. Find it's, yourself it's like a big a out, it's like our old yeah. uh, outdoor theaters. Yeah, it's a huge and it's a the sound quality is outstanding. Yeah, so it's it's not uh, and it's not that touristic. It's a very popular local thing. Yeah, it and is. As you mentioned, yeah. it's a meat yeah. market. So yeah. who knows? You might meet some. Uh, <laughs> you might get and a, there's it's something like two sections. So one part is really so people are not. You can take your food there. Yeah, but it's right. the where the seats are for the people who want to listen to music. Right. Yeah. Um, it's really quiet there. It's mm-hmm. it's a fantastic atmosphere. It's like in the opera. And then on the other side, you have two rows of food stands yeah, where mm-hmm. you can pick from traditional Austrian food and sausages, but also you get just some French fries and oh, beer a, and wine. Yeah. Sushi, yeah, so yeah, you can get a, you uh, can everything. Eat your way through the world. And in the middle, there is something like a huge open air garden with a lot of flowers and palm trees and there are cocktail bars. So you just slant around, uh, pick something here, pick something there, and then you look, oh, what's today on the screen? So in July and August, if you're in Vienna, be sure this is a cheap dinner. It's a great people scene and a dose of classical music uh, in, a, in a wonderful local happening yeah. at the City Hall, or Rathouse yeah. is the yeah. term and, word. Uh, So it's right on the rink, yeah, so right. you have a, a Simple train uh, station just in front. Yeah. And the movies they are showing are, for example, recordings of the Vienna New Year's concert, uh, fantastic opera productions from the Vienna Festival, from the Salzburg Opera Festival, probably also some jazz, uh, mm-hmm. ballet is also possible. Changing every yeah, night. It's changing every night. On a related note, Ursula, we've got Joseph who emailed us from Arlington, Virginia, and he's curious about the ball season in mm-hmm. Vienna. Uh, Joseph uh, writes, For my wife's birthday in January 2007, I'd like to take her to Vienna and a ball. What do I need to know about arranging for and attending a ball? Can tourists actually go to these uh, yes. ball, Strauss kind of balls? Yeah. Or what's the, yeah. what's the scene? Um, I would contact the Vienna City Hall. They have the so-called ball calendar. Yeah? So that's because the, the carnival season is changing every year because it's depending when Easter is. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So make sure that there is carnival in February because it could be a very short season as well. And then you see the... You can download the list of balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the balls are in the um, in the Hofburg, which is a very wow. beautiful possibility to see the old... Uh, see the Habsburg Palace really, being yeah, used as yeah, a venue for a yes, ball. Yes, you can so almost imagine uh, Franz Josef there. That's right. Waltzing yeah, so the, the interior sissy. hasn't changed. Yeah, it's, it's still the same. And, and tourists would be welcome, but I imagine you need a ticket and you need to dress up. 
you need you need a ticket. There is a big selection. Yeah? You can go to a school ball where you pay oh. probably like 20, 50 euros for mm-hmm. um, adult ticket. Yeah, Or you can go, for example, there's the uh, Vienna Lawyers Association, which is certainly a little mm-hmm. or trade chamber. So there's uh, a calendar. It's a little bit balls. more expensive. Necessary for gentlemen, at least a black suit and a tie, normally um, um, black fly, mm-hmm. and for uh, for the ladies a long dress, a, a gown. Yeah, so really. What uh, if it, how can a tourist find a gown in Vienna if they're not traveling with it? Um, you can rent them. Can you? A, there's a big there's a big store. Uh, well, that and, might be a fun experience. And you can for also you can also rent, for example, if you want to go to the opera ball, which yeah. you should reserve tickets now, mm-hmm. because for this you need tails and no. Nobody has Whoa. tails. Even the Vienna people rent for several locations the dresses and the, okay, well, the suits. Jo- Joseph from Arlington, Virginia, will give his wife a very nice <laughs> birthday present in January 2007 at a Vienna ball. Uh, Patty from Arizona emailed us, and Patty writes, Vienna was a fabulous city to visit. Uh, we took a tram to the vineyards in the north. It was, a, it was a wonderful evening. We were celebrating our 40th anniversary and met a couple from Switzerland doing the same thing. It was great to see the Lipizzan horses practice and to attend a Mozart concert at the Music Verein. Easy to get around on the su- on the subway. Much to see. Uh, we could spend a week there. People are enjoying Vienna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Cynthia from you. North Carolina uh, emailed us. My husband and I are in Vienna in July 2005. Surprisingly, they were experiencing 100-degree heat wave. We were happy that our hotel had air conditioning. We enjoyed the pedal power bike tour on a cooler day, 10 miles of uh, coasting through the downtown area with frequent sightseeing stops for photo taking. Another highlight of the trip was a tour and a dinner concert at the Habsburg Summer Palace. So there's bicycle tours around Vienna mm-hmm. now. Are yeah, those popular? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there is there are several companies offering bicycle. Even you can go if you're very sport if you can go on inline skating tours. Was oh, that right? <laughs> so if you want this and Segway <laughs> tours. Segway is a thing, and I've seen that yeah. in Paris also. And these people went to a dinner concert and a tour at the Habsburg Summer Palace. That's the Schönbrunn. Schönbrunn and they yeah. have dinner uh, concerts They have there. in the Orangerie. Um, it's it's probably a little bit touristic, but it's right. certainly very, it's it's nice. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> Ursula, tell me a little bit about the Heuriger. What is this new the wine Heurigen, thing in Vienna? Uh, so Heuriger is a word which um, describes the institution, the place where you go, and it's also the wine. Yeah, so it means this year's uh, this it's, year's okay, so wine. It's the new wine at uh, the place where they make the exactly. new wine. Exactly, and a little bit back to the history, to the late seventeen uh, hundreds, um, Joseph II, the their emperor of the Enlightenment, released a note that for farmers, wine farmers, it was possible to sell their products directly without paying any taxes. So that's the base, that's the origin that the people from downtown Vienna took coaches out to the outskirts and had a cheap dinner there, enjoyed their time sitting outside on just wooden benches and underneath a chestnut tree overlooking the hilly scenery facing the Danube Valley, enjoying the wine for more or less no money. Yeah? So it's a so, cheap sort place. Of inexpensive yeah. conviviality, yeah. ambience. Yeah. The, it's yeah. probably the textbook example of Gemütlichkeit. It is. Just the cozy, Absolutely. relaxing Absolutely. family get together. Yeah. And the wine is a rather light white wine, very fresh tasting. And in Vienna, we used to drink it as the so-called Spritzer, which is a special glass. It looks a little bit like a mug, uh-huh. but glass. And it's half uh, of a quarter liter wine and filled up with soda, uh, with um, uh, mineral water. So it's you water the wine, mm-hmm. which is for wine fans sometimes a little bit so, mm, what are you doing with the wine? Yeah. But if you have tasted, you will be convinced. I've heard it takes nearly a lifetime to be able to develop uh, an ability to, sting- to distinguish between Heuriger wine and vinegar. <laughs> That's unfair. <laughs> That's unfair. No, no, I'm kidding. It's a great experience to go outside of town into the Vienna woods. Yeah. And find a little wine, a family that's been growing wine yeah. for so long. Yeah. And then share it. You've got the strolling musicians. Yeah. You've got the rustic traditional strummer, food. Strummer uh, music, which yeah. is this very, something like melancholic uh, traditional music. And the food is brown bread, roasted pork, Salt of the chicken. earth traditional yes, Austria. Yes, yes. Certainly good. not Weight Watchers confirmed, but you will enjoy it. <laughs> Ursula, a lot of Americans, they think the most famous Austrian right now is 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor of California. What <laughs> yeah. do the Austrians think about this famous well, Austrian? Well, when he ran for, for the election, it was really uh, something every day in the news because it was for Austrians very, uh, or even European, if you follow European politics, it is something quite outstanding to announce your campaign in a talk show. Yeah, So this was very American. And then, well, he did it. Um, the Californians, they also voted for Ronald Reagan, and he was also, he was yeah, an even correct. worse actor. Yeah, so, you say California uh, just like your fellow Austrian Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, now maybe some critical points uh, is that Austria, it's not really, you couldn't say everybody's very proud of our Arnold, yeah, and especially in the discussion of death uh, capital pan uh, punishment. Right. Uh, because from a European point of view, the death penalty is, is... Yeah, it's a topic no European would agree. Uh, and so it was a lot of people, I think also some Americans in the blue states were probably disappointed because they hoped maybe with somebody from abroad there will be a more like a pardon policy coming up to California. We're talking about the death penalty. Yeah. Because in Europe, I think the death penalty is considered quite barbaric. Yeah, it is. So for, for some Austrians, Arnold is a murderer. Yeah, so it's... Wow. Uh, so he's not uh, everybody's hero in Austria. No, not anymore. <laughs> and in getting back to Vienna, when you think of Vienna's love of life, you're situated right on the Danube River. Yeah. You've got the, the hills of the Alps coming down into mm -hmm. the town. You've got the grand St. Stephen's Cathedral sticking up in the middle of the mm -hmm. city. And you've got this wonderful love of life. Mm -hmm. It's a celebration of life. It is. It's a place I think I'd like to go <laughs> visit as soon as possible. Ursula Klaps, thank you so much for visiting with us and sharing thank with you. us an insight into your great city. Thank you. Goodbye. Happy Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website has more information about this and other programs in the series, including archived audio and podcast extras. You'll also find a link to post your thoughts for other listeners, to send your email questions for Rick, and to submit an original haiku for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. It's all on the radio section at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.